Chapter Five of A Little Country Girl by Susan Coolidge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Five. Down to Beaver Tail. Sunday morning brought the fresh, lovely stillness which Sundays in early summer seem always to possess in Newport. Later in the season, the roll of wheels and the jingle of plaited harnesses come to mar this peacefulness. But till the very end of June it endures, and is one of the sweet things of the place. The Joys were at breakfast. It was one of the points in which Mrs. Joy took most pride, that this meal was served in a special apartment known as the breakfast-room, and not, as with most families, in the room where they dined. The breakfast-room was not large, but sumptuous in all its appointments. The critical taste might have objected that the plush curtains which shaded the windows were too heavy for summer, that the begilded wallpaper swore a little at its own dado and frieze, as well as deadened the effect of the pictures which hung against it, and that the drapery of lace and velvet which veiled the fireplace made a fire inconvenient and almost impossible, however cold the weather might be. But a critical taste might have found the same faults with the whole house. The general effect was of costliness and magnificence, but the details were at variance, and comfort and homelikeness had been sacrificed in the effort to make everything fine. There was a library, with almost no books in it, a ballroom, which was used only for balls, and looked bare and shut up on ordinary days, a huge drawing-room, full of costly toys, tables loaded with Sèvres cups, other tables with possessions of pug-dogs in precious china, snuff-boxes, patch-boxes, chimney-piece crowded with porcelain figures and bits of old Dresden ware. There was a great deal of carving and ormolu, but it had the air of being created and kept for company use, and deserted the moment company went away. Mrs. Joy had only got so far in her art education as this, that she bought everything which cost a great deal of money and which her neighbours bought and she never stopped to reason about such minor points as taste fitness convenience or the adaptation of an article to her own particular needs mrs joy was the very image of a prosperous woman as she sat behind her heavy silver coffee-pots and cream-jugs reading the sunday paper to get which her groom had ridden a couple of miles before breakfast her very black hair was trained into a line of formal rings across her forehead, which as yet scarcely showed a wrinkle. Her tightly laced figure was almost as slender as her daughter's, and the hand sparkling with diamonds which held the paper was white and youthful. Handsome she certainly was, and people called her agreeable, for she talked a great deal in a noisy, lively way, and had a caressing manner for all persons whom she thought it worth her while to caress but her face was hard and when the society smile died out of it it was neither intelligent nor kindly mrs joy had been extremely pretty in her youth berenice was like her but tom joy the son resembled his father who had died three or four years before the opening of this little story berry and her friend ethel curtis were talking about a sailing party which they had planned for the next day the Greys and the Hallets and Julia Prime, that makes seven. Mamma for matron, eight. Then there's Tom and George Rivington, and the two Fosters. I can't think where we are to get the other three men. 
"'It isn't like a dinner party. "'The numbers need not be exactly equal,' suggested Ethel. "'That's true, but it's a great deal better fun to have them equal. "'Men hate to talk to two girls at once, "'and the girls who haven't any men to talk to feel left out. "'Carol Benton is coming up the end of the week. "'I wish he were here now.' "'I guess you'd better look up some other matron and let me off,' said Mrs. Joy, laying down her newspaper. "'I don't care much for sailing. I'm so apt to feel a little sick, and that spoils all the pleasure of it. "'Ask Mrs. Freddy Allen. She is young and likes to go everywhere, and Freddy will go along and make another gentleman. "'That will do nicely if you really don't want to go, Mamma. "'We'll invite them all as we come out of church, and save the bother of writing notes.' It's easier to explain when you see people than to write down everything. Yes, that's one of the conveniences of going to church, remarked Mrs. Joy calmly. I've often had as many as three or four invitations coming out of Trinity on a Sunday morning in the season. These muffins are horrid. James, tell the cook she ought to be ashamed of herself to send up such things. They're as tough as leather and burned besides. As black as my shoe, I do declare. Yes'm, and James departed to incense the cook with the unsoftened message. The cook declared that when ladies came down an hour late for breakfast, they must expect tough muffins, and for her part she didn't care whether they were good or not. She didn't think much of the place anyway, and didn't mean to stay on. There'd be plenty of people coming in a week or two, and plenty of places to pick and choose from. Mrs. Joy was always having little difficulties with her servants. Trinity Church looked cool and shady as the party entered it from the dazzle of the outdoor sunshine. Berenice Joy was perfectly well trained in the outward forms of devotion. She called herself High Church, and nothing could be more graceful than the manner in which she glided up the aisle, bowed to the chancel, and sank on her knees for what was supposed to be a short interval of silent prayer. But her eyes went straight to the Gray's pew the moment she rose, and from thence to the Hallets, and she whispered to Ethel, They're all here, that's nice. Then she indulged in a long stare at Candice, who had come to church with her cousins, and who, in her new cream and brown foulard, with the daisy-trimmed hat and a pair of the birthday gloves on her slender hands, looked quite differently from the ill-dressed little passenger of the Aeolus the Monday before. Do look! "'That's the very girl we saw on the boat,' went on Berenice, in the same low whisper. "'Did you ever? Hasn't Mrs. Gray done her over nicely? I wonder where she got that hat.' "'I wonder what she has done with the old one.' "'Given it to the cook, or sold it to the rag-and-bottle man,' retorted Berry. Then came a suppressed giggle, which ended in sudden forced gravity as the opening words of the service fell on their ears.' and they rose with the rest of the congregation. Candace was not conscious that she was being looked at. She had only once or twice in her life been in an Episcopal church, and never before in an old one. Trinity seemed to her as wonderful and picturesque as some of the churches she had read about in books. She looked at the square pews where people sat sideways instead of fronting the chancel, as in ordinary churches. She noted the tall ones with gilded tops, which marked the places of the junior and senior wardens, the quaint swinging chandeliers of old brass, the tablets on the walls, two or three bearing inscriptions in honour of dead rectors or other departed worthies, 
one to the memory of a young girl with a beautiful flying figure in bas-relief carved in white marble she gazed with amazement at the pulpit one of the ancient three-decker pattern which is rarely seen nowadays with a clerk's desk below a reading desk above above that a lofty pulpit for the clergyman to which a narrow flight of stairs gave access and suspended over all an enormous extinguisher-shaped sounding-board it looked large and heavy enough to crush any clergyman who should be caught by its fall while in the act of preaching and candace watched its slight oscillations with apprehensive fascination till she recollected that it must have hung there for a hundred years at least and there was no reason to suppose that it would drop on this particular sunday by turning her head a very little she could get a glimpse of the organ loft with its quaint little organ bearing two gilded mitres and a royal crown on top and below the inscription the gift of george berkeley late lord bishop of cloyne she wondered who george berkeley could have been and resolved to ask cousin kate as they went home if there was any story about him there was no whispering or giggling in mrs gray's pew the girls were too well trained for such irreverence and except that georgie interchanged one little smile with berry joy as she came in not one of them looked away from the clergyman till the sermon was over and the benediction pronounced it had been an impressive service to candace who was used to the bearer forms of the congregational church and she was surprised to perceive how little solemnizing effect it seemed to have on the congregation in general the moment people rose from their knees a low buzz of conversation began berry joy seized on georgie and gertrude and began to unfold the sailing plan as they walked down the aisle mrs joy took possession of cousin kate everybody seemed to have something to say to somebody candace caught scraps of half a dozen different conversations before she reached the door and not one of them related in any way to the sermon or to anything religious she overheard one invitation to dinner another to drive an inquiry about a dressmaker a bit of gossip about a new engagement a request for a recipe for mayonnaise she supposed it must be the right thing to chatter thus since all the delightful-looking people did it still it seemed to her country notions rather queer the carriage was waiting in spring street a little farther up the hill she did not like to get in till the others were ready so she stepped aside among the gravestones and looked up to where the white slender spire of the old church towered against the blue she was trying to make out the episcopal mitre surmounted by the gilded weather vane when mrs gray saw and beckoned to her she was still talking with mrs joy and that lady was saying i may possibly not be able to go myself but if i am prevented i will see that the young folks have a proper matron and then my dear there's captain davis you know i never let berry sail with any one else he's so safe and so careful and the weather promises to be perfect it certainly is perfect to-day said mrs gray candace dear i want to introduce you to mrs joy my cousin miss arden mrs joy or rather my niece for her mother was like my own sister she has come to spend the summer with me cannie mrs joy is the mother of the young lady who came down with you on the eolus ah indeed the girls did not tell me about that said mrs joy well my dear mrs joy would have said my dear to queen victoria or to the empress of china if she had ever had the chance of an interview with those potentates 
you've come to a charming place and to charming relatives i'm sure and you can't fail to enjoy your summer you must come with your cousins to-morrow to this sailing party which my young folks are getting up they'll be delighted i'm sure thank you said candace timidly glancing at mrs gray that will be very nice said her cousin cannie has not been on the water yet it is a new pleasure for her at four o'clock you said mrs joy yes dear at four and don't trouble to send down for the girls it's impossible to tell exactly when they will get in as it depends on the wind and berry will have the beach wagon and can bring them all up as well as not good-bye dear and mrs joy sailed toward her carriage where the two girls were already seated i've asked miss arden who's staying with the greys to go out sailing with you tomorrow she said as she took her seat you'll want another gentleman berry oh mamma what did you do that for she's the pokiest little thing we didn't want her at all well mrs gray introduced her and said she was almost her niece and i thought it seemed to be expected mrs gray is always polite to our visitors you know and i don't like to seem to slight any of hers what's the matter with the girl oh nothing's the matter only she's pokey and doesn't seem to fit in somehow you would understand if you had seen her the day she came mrs gray has dressed her up as you might be sure she would but then she looked like the backwoods didn't she ethel she seemed nice appearing enough to-day you'll have to make the best you can of it i guess for mrs gray accepted for her it doesn't really signify said berry discontentedly only it throws the party all out of shape and she's younger than any of the rest only just seventeen georgie says she'd a great deal better stay at home with marian it was fortunate that candace did not guess how unwelcome her company was to the getters-up of the party for the idea of the sail was most delightful to her she had never been out in a boat in her life not even on the smallest pond and she had just discovered the strong fascination of the sea she longed to get nearer to it to know it better and in her innocent little heart she thought how very kind it was in mrs joy to invite me sunday was always a particularly pleasant day at the greys mrs gray was wont to declare that though she did not believe in the jewish sabbath she did with all her heart believe in the christian day of rest and she took pains to make it a happy one for all under her roof she gave her servants as much liberty as she could simplified their work and provided a plenty of good reading for such of them as stayed at home her own time was much more at the service of her family than it could be on ordinary days she always took a walk with the girls in the cool of the afternoon if the day were pleasant and kept some book of a thoughtful kind to read aloud in the evenings this sunday it happened to be that wonderful little prose poem of mrs oliphant's a beleaguered city cannie found it absorbingly interesting and even mr gray lay aside his newspaper and listened to the very end the reading done candace found a chance to ask her question about george berkeley bishop of cloyne the donor of the organ there was a story about him as it turned out and a very interesting one mrs gray told how when dean of derry in ireland the project of establishing a college in bermuda for the education of english boys and of indian youths to act as missionaries to their own people had taken possession of his mind and he had given up his preferment and crossed the sea with his family to engage in the chosen work 
she described their landing in newport on a sunday morning when everybody was at church and how the clergyman stopped in the middle of his sermon and with all his congregation following him hurried down to the waterside to receive the distinguished guest she promised to take candace out some day to see whitehall the house which he built on the island and in which he lived for some years till the impossibility of carrying out his scheme for bermuda drove him back again to ireland and also the rocky shelf still called bishop berkeley's rock where he is said to have composed the lines which begin westward the course of empires takes its way then she looked up a photograph from smybert's picture of dean berkeley and his family to show them and by that time the girls had all grown interested and when marion said that she too wanted to go to see whitehall georgie and gertrude begged to be included also and mrs gray promised to take them all one of the dean's little children is buried in trinity churchyard canny she ended you can look up the stone some day it has lucia berkeley carved upon it i should like to said canny it has been so nice to hear about him how many interesting things have happened in newport i should care a great deal more about that funny little organ next sunday newport harbour shone all blue and silver in the sun as the party stepped on board the catboat cornelia at sharp four o'clock on monday afternoon mrs fred allen a tall graceful brunette seemed as much of a girl as any of the party which she was nominally to matronize but she was married though she didn't look it as berry joy remarked and so was qualified to fill the place there was a fair wind which sent the boat smoothly along with little or no motion as they glided past the long sunken shoal off the end of goat island and opened the view of brenton's cove with the wreck of the old slaver lying in the deep shadow under one bank opposite the ribs of the other stranded bark while from beyond in the laughing bay white-winged boats flitted to and fro and seemed to beckon and make tempting signals to the poor defeated barks who might never sail or enjoy the sea again candace ventured to ask gertrude in a whisper what are those oh only some old wrecks replied gertrude carelessly and she turned from candace to talk to tom joy who sat next to her the cornelia was now running on the favouring wind between fort adams and the conanicut shore on one hand lay newport which looked like a dream city in the soft shine of the afternoon on the other was the long hill line of the island green with grasses except where broken now and then by rocky cliffs and indented with innumerable little coves and inlets some ending in strips of pebbly beach others in stony shelves overhung by seaweeds the water was beautiful in colour here pale fishing green there purple in shadow with gleams of golden light and a low reach of shimmering blue toward the horizon on sped the little boat till they could almost touch the ledges the rounded outline of the old fortification on the upper hill towered above their heads then suddenly she curved and wheeled off on the other tack with the sharp line of castle hill and the agassiz point full in view candace gazed with delighted eyes to left and right her mind was full of questions but there seemed no one of whom she could ask them georgie and berry were perched on the extreme point of the bow with a young man stretched at their feet mrs fred was on the cabin roof amidships with quite a little court of girls and young men about her 
the couples who sat opposite and beside her seemed quite absorbed in each other no one had spoken to candace since the first introductions and she was too shy to open a conversation with anybody how i wish i knew she sighed to herself half aloud looking up she met the shrewd twinkling eyes of the captain perhaps he had caught the words for he asked encouragingly did you speak miss no said candace i don't think i spoke but i was wondering about that that thing up there pointing to the fort that that's fort dumpling as folks call it it's a kind of queer old place ain't it they don't use it now for no war purposes but it makes a pretty pint up in the landscape and folks go there for picnics and such in the summer season when was it built asked candace charmed to find somebody able and willing to satisfy her curiosity well i reckon it was about eighteen twelve when we was a-tackling the british for the last time take very much of a fort to look at but if you was to mount some of them powerful guns they make now on the walls them and the others over at fort adams yonder would protect the channel pretty well the shot had reached clear across why you hardly think it perhaps but not more than four or five years ago there were some folks who had come on a kind of excursion taking their lunches up there by fort dumpling and some soldiers was firing at a long-range target over there to fort adams and one of the balls came over and hit a young lady how dreadful said candace her eyes measuring the long distance between the two points and it seems so far away i suppose the young lady felt perfectly safe i am sure i should have did it kill her oh no they thought at first it had but it didn't turn out so bad as was expected the soldiers they felt mighty mean i expect you see they didn't intend a mite of harm to her or anybody but it just shows how far them big guns carry nowadays a warship now unless she was some kind of a monitor or that would stand a fair chance of being stove and sent to the bottom before she could get back into attack newport what a funny little house that is down to the water remarked candace looking off to the opposite shore that's professor agassiz's laboratory do you see that kind of a cove which sets in there near by the building and a little black thing sticking up out of it that's the pipe of his steam launch he and the rest go out in it and dredge for fish and such like and then they experiment on them inside what do they do that for asked candace well they want to find out about em i reckon i was in there once and saw them at work but i couldn't make nothing out of it and there wasn't anybody i could ask oh what is that cried candace as the cornelia tacking again opened one of the little bays on the south end of canonicut where a small steam vessel was lying two boats which seemed to belong to her were rowing in a parallel line with each other and behind them appeared a long line of bobbing points which she could not at all understand that's one of the fishing steamers and the boats are drawing her nets explained the captain did you ever see a seine drawn before well i declare i'm mighty glad we happened just in time for it's a curious spectacle i guess we'll kind of hang about till they get the nets in and then i'll take the cornelia up near enough for you to see captain there are the seine boats out called tom joy at the same moment let's sail up and see what they've caught the two boats began to near each other as they reached the limits of the long elliptical curves which made their course and presently a great number of scintillating specks were seen in the space enclosed between them 
there were the leaping fish just conscious that they were crowded into a confined space and desirous of escape when they were quite close to one another the boats turned and began to row for the steamer the cornelia followed and the captain with a twist of the tiller threw her into the wind just beyond the great net which by that time was being rapidly hauled in it was a wonderful thing to see the heavy mass of floundering fishes pouring over into the steamer's hold thousands and thousands of quivering silvery shapes of all kinds from the fat oily-bodied menhaden to weird horned monsters with gaping mouths and strange half-translucent blocks like jelly which seemed to have no mouths at all large and small pinky white black blue in they poured now and then some fish more lucky than his fellows would splash over the side of the net and escape to liberty and the deep sea now and then a fisherman with a sudden dash of his hand would single out a specimen choicer than the rest a blue fish a chicken cod or a sea bass the little company in the sailboat shared all the excitement of the catch the young men left their flotations for the boat's side where they could get a better view a great deal of chaff went on between captain davis and the captain of the menhaden steamer tom joy amused himself by bargaining for bluefish and actually bought three big flapping specimens for a dollar and a quarter they were deposited on the bottom of the cornelia where they leaped painfully up and down while the girls retreated for refuge to the upper deck till captain davis at last caught the fish and stowed them away in his little cabin it was not till the last loop of the seine was emptied the last fish secured and the boats were making ready for another cast that the cornelia finally glided away and by that time a soft crimson glow had gathered in the west and the sun was nearing the horizon edge the wind blew more freshly now and with a zest and coolness which it had not had earlier in the afternoon captain davis pointed out to candace the lightship anchored in the offing between point judith and brenton's reef and told her how the men who lived on board of her did not see a face from land for weeks together sometimes when winds were stormy and waves rough candace listened eagerly the rest of the party had gone back to their old places but there was not so much chatter now the dreamy influences of the hour were felt by everyone dick foster was quoting tennyson in a low voice to pretty julia prime berry joy and georgie still kept up a fitful conversation with their cavalier but gertrude had grown silent and tom joy was whistling softly to himself with his eyes fixed on the sunset the cornelia sped silently seaward suddenly they were in the shadow of a deep cove at the very end of canonicut and close by them rose out of the sea an immense square table of rock over which still as it was the surge was constantly flinging showers of white spray the whole top of this rock was black with large sea-birds candace had never imagined such a sight the birds seemed crowding each other on every inch of space each moment some of them would rise wheel in the air with wild cries and screams and then settle again to dispute for room while the seething foam splashed over them and the incessant flutter of their wings the dashing spray and the long wash of waves at the base of the rock gave to their place of refuge the effect of movement so that it seemed to sway and float in the sea oh what a wonderful place cried candace such big birds and so many of them what do you call them captain 
"'Well, they're mostly cormorants and gulls, I reckon. "'That's what we call them down to Newport. "'They ain't no good for eating, so they don't get shot, "'and they do increase powerfully, "'though it seems to me I never did see quite so many "'on the kettle bottom before, as this afternoon. "'Is that the name of the rock?' "'Yes, the kettle bottom rock. "'That's what it's called. "'It's a queer place. "'There was a painter here last summer, "'and he made a picture of it, "'with them birds all flying over it, which folks said was like as like. The line of hotels on Narragansett Beach was now plainly in sight. They were almost off Beaver Tail, and the sea was rougher. Captain, we may as well put about, said Tom Joy. The sun's going down, and there's rather more motion hereabouts than the ladies like. So they put about and sped harbourward, helped by the tide which was now running swiftly in. Frank Rivington began to sing in a mellow tenor voice little baccarolles and Venetian boat songs, which were full of measured rhythmic movement like oar-strokes and the beat of waves. The pink in the west deepened after the sun went down to a vivid orange-red and flamed higher and higher till the zenith caught the glow, and a little crescent moon which was climbing up swung like a tiny silver boat on a crimson tide. It was all like a dream, to which the noiseless speed of the boat offered no interruption. "'Good night, Captain,' said Candice gently as the Cornelia touched the wharf, at the upper end of which the carriages were waiting for them. "'I'm so much obliged to you for telling me all about the things.' "'You're welcome, I'm sure,' replied the hearty Captain. "'It's been nothing but a pleasure so far as I'm concerned. Hope I may take you out sailing again, Miss.' "'Oh, I hope so. I think sailing is lovely.' "'Good-bye, Miss Arden. I hope you have enjoyed it,' said Mrs. Allen, as she was borne off by her husband. It was the sole remark addressed by the matron of the party to the little stranger under her care during that afternoon. But Candace had not felt neglected. "'Oh, yes, very much, thank you,' she replied. Tom Joy, who had waked up to the sense that the little girl in the red hat had not had much attention paid her on the sail, tried to get up a conversation as the beach wagon climbed the hill. But Candace had but little small talk at her command, and they did not get on very fluently. "'I've had a lovely time, Miss Joy,' she said shyly, as they were set down at home. "'I'm sure I'm glad. Good night, Miss Arden.' And that was all the notice which Berenice Joy took of her youngest guest, beyond the necessary good afternoon when they first met on the wharf. Candice was too unexacting, and too much accustomed to think of herself as a child to whom no particular attention was due, to realise or resent being treated with this scant courtesy. She told Cousin Kate about the sail and the Seine steamer, and all the captain's tales and explanations with a glow of enjoyment which surprised Gertrude, and perhaps pricked her conscience somewhat, for that night, at hair-brushing time, she surprised Georgie by the observation, "'After all, Cannie is quite a sweet little thing.' "'So she is, sweet enough. But what makes you think of it just now?' "'Why, we rather left her out this afternoon, I am afraid.' Hardly anybody said a word to her, except the captain. It was rude enough of Berry, for it was her party, but I think it was worse for us. Any other girl would have been hurt and cross and showed it, but Cannie never seemed to mind a bit, and enjoyed everything, and was just as nice and pleasant as if she had been the belle of the party. "'Well, it was too bad,' said Georgie penitently. "'I never thought about it, and I sat ever so far off from her,' and Arnold Foster was so funny. In fact, I forgot Cannie. 
I took it for granted that she was being entertained somehow. I'm afraid both of us find it pretty easy to forget Cannie, remarked Gertrude. Well, I shall try to do better another time. End of chapter 5